We live in a confused and busy world. We live with the illusion of control. We live in a culture that tears us away from our God-given spiritual roots. And yet deep down, we long for spiritual growth. Jesus has the answer. In John 15, Jesus invites us to remain with him, to abide with him, to make our home with him. If we do, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. But how do we make our home with Jesus? It may seem mysterious or difficult or abstract. Here at New Hope, we believe that God has given us everything we need so that we can remain with Jesus. This teaching series will explain how we are developing into a community that is centered around three gifts. Jesus gave us His Word. Jesus gave us the Spirit, and Jesus gave us the sacraments. As we partake of these gifts, we experience true abiding with Jesus, which postures us to bear fruit. Jesus said, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Today we complete our three-part series called Abide, and today we talk about abiding with the sacraments. You just heard Danya's voice on that voiceover. She's not present with us today. She's planning to be away with some friends uh, for the weekend, and she gives her greetings, and I know she misses being with you, and she'll be back with us next week. Let's all stand together and read our scriptures as is our custom and habit we won't read the references, just, just the words, the scripture themselves. Ready, go. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, the gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's begin a bit of teaching and some thoughts on signs versus symbols. And I think um, through some of this, we'll understand the sacraments more, which that might be a new word for you, and we'll explain as we go. Symbols are powerful. God created us to understand the significance of symbols, and more on symbols in a moment. But first of all, um, signs. Symbols are different than signs. Uh, Signs tend to point something directly outside of itself. Um, Think of being at an airport. I always appreciate the signage of airports, where if you just follow along, you know where uh, to go. And even when I've been in foreign countries, a lot of the rest of the world accommodates English, which is wonderful. You just follow the signs, and it tends to point to where you're supposed to go. Um, but I rarely have an emotional connection to signs, um, unless I miss a sign, right? And then you might feel, <laughs> right, if you missed a sign before. But a sign that says, you know, um, Portland is 119 miles away, which is how far it was away from Cresswell, where I grew up, 119 miles away, doesn't evoke any emotion. It's just pretty plain, objectively saying something. A couple of examples, a stop sign, right? Stop sign, yep. What are you supposed to do with that? <laughs> yeah, some of you are being reminded. Um, Natalie Gerber passed her driver's test this last week, and she knows that better than you. So congratulations to Natalie. Yep, yeah. Or a self-checkout sign tells you where you can check yourself out. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that, but it sounded like I came up with that. Um, That's, yep, so I'm not as funny as I seem. Or not as unfunny as I seem, depending on how you took that. Self-checkout, do you you guys use self-checkout? Yep, yep, it's convenient, it's nice. Um, Do those machines ever annoy you? Yep, those are the same people raising their hand. Next time you complain about life, think about your own choices because you're choosing to do things that annoy you. Just, yeah. All right. I have no more jokes, just so you know. Yeah. But a symbol is much more dynamic. A symbol says a ton. Every culture is full of symbols, which can feel like they're signs, but they're not. They say so much more. Um, You've heard, and have felt Queen Elizabeth died. Yeah, it's a big deal. Maybe a bigger deal in, in the world at large than what we thought it would be. She died on my 44th birthday. So I feel close to her in that way. Yeah. Um, she's, as far as queens go, she seems to be, has been a good one. If she were reigning at the time of King George, perhaps we would have remained one of the British colonies. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I told you I had no more jokes, but I, I've lied. 
Yeah. I deeply value her Christian faith. If you want to hear more about her faith, look up her Christmas addresses to her nation on YouTube. Well, you guys, I might be the last American that was photographed with the Queen. This might be true. Northern Ireland is a part of the United Kingdom, and uh, I was there, and on August 26th, I took a selfie with the queen. <laughs> uh, now, Northern Ireland is a part of the United Kingdom. And for the Protestant side of the population, there are powerful symbols that communicate much more than a sign could. Powerful symbols. This is a street. I took a picture of this. This is a Protestant neighborhood in Belfast, Northern Ireland. This is the side that is loyal to the crown and feels really bad. So you can see the flags. This is flag season, parade season it's called in Northern Ireland. And so you have, uh, you guys know what the flag, the UK flag is called? The what? The Union Jack, right? Um, There's a blue and white flag. It's hard to see. Does anybody know what the blue and white flag is? No? Scotland. Okay, and then the orange flags are flags representing the orange order. And all of those are deep with meaning for the Protestant side of the population. When a Catholic who lives in that region, which is kind of like the other side of things, sees those flags, they don't have emotions of loyalty and tradition. They have, they have feelings of oppression. Many of them have felt oppressed by, by the rule of Britain and these symbols say a lot. God made us to be powerfully moved by symbols. Symbols tell stories beyond uh, just a particular um, phrase or word or moment. Connect us to big stories that have to do with our heritage and our past. They provide continuity Um, A photograph, like me with the queen, may represent a a moment in time, but symbols transcend all of this, and they're powerful in how they orient us. So in just a moment, I'm going to put a series of symbols on the screen. And I'm I'm going to, I, I guess, just fair warning, I'm just wanting you to recognize that you have emotional connection with these and you have thoughts about them and it immediately takes you into a particular space. This is what symbols do. The first one is probably um, fairly innocuous. Well, I don't know, maybe not. Let's, let's try this one. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Knows the tune even. NBC. Yeah. Maybe for some that evokes like pleasant memories of watching friends on Thursday nights or something to that effect or Tom Brokaw and his voice leading America through whatever was going on at the time, reporting the news. Um, For others, this has become associated with MSNBC and you don't trust it. But do you see how symbols takes a lot? This next one. Same colors, different configuration, but there's big emotional connection. 
big emotional connection. Also, it says all sorts of things. And again, I'm putting these up here just to show you that you are affected by symbols. We are people of symbols. And the symbols are powerful and they help us. Here's another. Yeah. Um, yeah, all sorts of different emotions would be felt by this. Many in, the, in this room, many of us are proud to be American and and there's lots of feelings and words that go along with that. Others are not quite sure what to do with America. And this flag, for some who have been oppressed by America, have no far less what to do with this symbol. But it powerfully says something that's informed by history and experience. And it's trying to say something to us. And we might try to use it in that way. The final one. Very interesting at the time, yeah, it's fair to boo that. I think that's, yeah. Fairly interesting at the time when Germany um, was rising, Nazi powers rising in Germany, that for many Germans who would later not have this feeling about this symbol, it would be a symbol that pulled them forward and created, you know, a sense of national unity, togetherness, recovering from World War I. And obviously, it's come to mean so much more, but it's powerful. The point I want to make is that we are made to be moved. We are made for traditions bigger than ourselves. And God, in his faithfulness, has provided symbols for the Christian. Symbols for the Christian to be drawn into the bigger story that we are a part of. What we call these sacraments. They are gifts that are a means to a greater connection, a greater story, a greater tradition. I like the word that, that, uh, that Reed used. And I'm glad he used that word. Because in our country, there's kind of like an anti-tradition sentiment. And I think that's too bad. That of course, bad traditions, we would want to, you know, get rid of the bad tradition of losing like the beavers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That was a brilliant game last night. Brilliant for yeah, those of you who care about this. and Yeah. But um, these traditions, they can be very helpful to us. And if you've been with us in New Hope for a while, you've seen that we're bringing to the forefront some of these traditions. Um, reading the scriptures out loud together. We call that sacramental. Something that it's more than just Understanding what the scriptures say in that moment, there's something about us saying it together. It creates a thin space where God can, can move. And we'll talk about baptism and communion specifically this morning. These are rituals that use tokens as a means of meaning for us. And they really, they form us. And I'm coming to understand this more and more the older I get at these form us. And there are two main sacraments that we'll talk about this morning, communion and baptism. And these are, again, symbols that take us deeper. Gordon Smith states this about the sacraments. He says, sacraments are symbols, no more, no less. Indeed, what makes them powerful is precisely that they are symbols. More specifically, they are ordained symbols or commanded symbols. A sacrament is a Christ-ordained symbol for the life of the church. So these sacraments, 
are given by Jesus to give us life and to teach us beyond even just what our minds um, would say. So in this series, we've been learning that we make our home with Christ via the word. We talked about that. The spirit we talked about last week and today the sacraments. And we are learning the power that comes of participating with these gifts together. Any of these gifts can be experienced individually, but there's something powerful about the togetherness that we are highlighting. Now, Jesus commanded these two sacraments of baptism and communion, and we'll briefly look at both of them. And then I would like to encourage us towards how the sacraments, some comments on the sacraments, and how when we gather together, we experience the full weight of these um, together. So, just to uh, talk through baptism, uh, first of all, as one of the sacraments. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says that we are to baptize the new disciples. Jesus himself was baptized. And we see in the early church the, the commitment of those to be baptized, to go through this sacramental, symbolic form in order that they might evidence to others around them and portray to others around them what was going on inside of them. So Jesus commands it, and we are to make disciples, and a part of being a disciple or follower of Jesus is to be baptized well, Paul, later, as the church is getting its footing and there's more teaching and explanation and theological insight, he uh, refers to baptism in Romans 6. And I'll read this and make brief comment. Paul says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? So in baptism... And we join him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. It's a symbolic gesture of going under the water in death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now also we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him with death, we will also be raised to life. So he's drawing on the symbology of baptism, that you die with Christ under the waters of baptism, and then you are raised to life and we can therefore live our actual lives new. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Praise God. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When Christ died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So Paul is drawing on that symbolism all through those words. Um, knowing that as we see and experience baptism, again, what is being reenacted every time there's a baptism or that we ourselves are baptized is the death and the resurrection of Jesus, proclaiming that as central to our very identity, our very discipleship, 
our very personhood um, as followers of Jesus. We go down and under, reminding us that Jesus died for us, and we come out of the water in a dramatic embodied act. And embodied, we'll come back to in a little while. We rise from the waters of death, and we're reminded that death does not have the final say. The power of sin is broken, and we are made alive with Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. Some brief comments on communion. Luke 22, then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Obviously, he's symbolically saying this. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus commands his followers to reenact this dramatic scene, saying, do this. Now, when Jesus did it, it was during the meal of Passover, which was the Jewish ritual observance of death passing over the nation of Israel so they could be liberated from slavery in Egypt So already this meal that they were having was dense with symbolic meaning. And then Jesus creates more meaning and depth by saying, describing his body, the bread representing it, being given over. The bread symbolizes the Son of God being broken. And as the disciples were experiencing this before he died and rose again, Um, They didn't quite grasp all of what he was saying, but later it made sense to them. And then he describes this this cup, which, you know, was likely uh, filled with wine. It's it's red like blood. He says, this represents the covenant poured out in my blood. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So each time that we partake of communion, um, taking the bread taking the cup, we are pointed toward the most profound way of our salvation. That God himself came and took upon flesh and then in dying, that flesh dying, so that we might have life. And so both with baptism and with communion, symbolically we are reenacting the centerpiece of what our faith is all about. And that is Jesus Christ being incarnated, coming in the flesh, dying, baptism, dying, (laughs) communion, his body and blood broken for us, and then rising to life again. And we are invited into this symbolism over and over because it it shapes us and takes us to deeper meaning than um, what we could experience otherwise. That is the sacraments and the power of them. Much more that could be said, and I'll make a few comments about the sacraments. The first is this. The word precedes the sacraments. The word or the scriptures precede the sacraments. The sacraments in themselves are meaningless and less encouraged and explained by the word. 
And so we are a church that we don't just do these rituals, but we are a church that proclaims the word and in response to the word, we participate with these symbolic acts. And this is why each week we do communion towards the end of our service. We believe that our time reading the word and teaching the word prepares us to receive communion. Our preaching and teaching is essentially all in vain unless uh, communion is a natural response to it. In other words, the teaching and the preaching of the church should always highlight Jesus as the means to our salvation, as the person of our salvation, as the whole big deal. <laughs> I've made the joke before that I got from somebody else, but I am a one-trick pony. It's all about Jesus. And the sacraments are in response to the word being proclaimed. The word precedes the sacraments. Likewise, it is the preaching of the word that prepares people for baptism. The gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, and therefore the waters of baptism make sense. I once was dead to my trespasses and sins. Jesus died for me, now I'm being made, being made alive in Christ. The second point I want to make about the sacraments, the spirit enlivens the sacraments. So we believe in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe we commune with Jesus and have union by, via the sacraments. And the Holy Spirit meets us. Many people watching baptism, have you ever had this experience? You're watching somebody else's baptism and you begin to weep. Anybody? Yep. That's a common experience. Because in that sacramental moment, when you know there's, there's so much more going on than even when that person can quite grasp and the spirit is enlivened within you in that thin space that is created by the sacrament um, coming forth, particularly as it has been explained and encouraged by the word. In that embodied act of baptism, the spirit testifies to our spirit. We were reminded of the saving work of God and how each of us is invited into it. Likewise, in communion, we pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal Christ to us. Our reflection, our confession beforehand, the act of giving and receiving to one another, all is an invitation for Christ, uh, to, for the Holy Spirit to, to reveal Christ to us. And in John 14, Jesus said, and I will send the spirit and the spirit will lead you unto all truth. And then just a heartbeat later, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. The Holy Spirit always reveals Christ to us. And so the spirit enlivens the sacraments. Third, the sacraments are embodied. Everybody grab your thighs right now and give yourself a good tickle. <laughs> Don't grab the person next to you. That's highly inappropriate. <laughs> but you are given a body. And our body is the very way that we connect with God. Now, I'll give some thoughts on this. God created all there is. Now, all there is is not God, but all there is can point us to God. Creation is a signpost to God. In a way, all of creation is a symbol. In a way, in this way, it is sacramental. And 
This is why we often experience a sense of closeness to God hiking or in the mountains or at the beach. Anybody have those experiences? A sunset, you experience this like closeness to God. The scriptures say that creation testifies to the reality of God. And actually Romans says that man is without excuse just because of what creation points to in terms of God. God cares a lot about the earth he created and he cares a lot about our bodies. Listen, our bodies are not temporary tents. That's a misunderstanding that is common within our um, kinds of churches where we highlight the spiritual activity. We almost come to believe that this is just, just a temporary thing. But what is true is that we will be given resurrection bodies, that there's something about our body now that is like a seed that will fully come into fruition and we will be embodied creatures, not just spirits floating away. That is a modern myth that tends to live. We think that our spirits are the important thing and our body is the unimportant thing. Our bodies are not discardable. Last week we talked about our body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, it is only through our physical bodies that we experience God's creation and God. Furthermore, God came in the flesh. God took on a body. God was born as a human baby. I mean, as you look at Judah up here, like at one point, Jesus was just so vulnerable, the Son of God, so vulnerable to be cared for by his mother. And I, I say it often, but in that vulnerable state, he was a refugee fleeing to Egypt because of the powers of the world, trying to kill all of the young boys around the area of Bethlehem. God took on flesh. The two sacraments that God invites us into are involve rituals that include our body. In communion, we eat and we drink. We re receive direct sustenance through our communion with Christ through the Lord's table, at the Lord's table. At communion, we receive this and, and we're doing this with our body because God respects, well, he made us with the body and that body connects us to the spiritual and our body is, in fact, an aspect of the spiritual. And so part of why the sacraments are important is so that God doesn't just become a thought or an idea or a faraway truth, but something in which we interact with, with our very selves regularly, our very bodies regularly. In baptism, think about this with me. We plunge into the water, which could kill us. I was talking with a woman in our church and she was baptized and they didn't, they didn't bring her up very quickly and it freaked her out, as it should. Maybe in a way that's a reminder, and we won't do this to any of you when you're baptized, by the way. <laughs> but sin also can kill us. And, and Paul talks about this, this agent of sin that's in his very body. It's not something that is outside. It's in his very body. In, our, in baptism, our whole body is taken under. And I just note that water is like one of the only things that exists that can touch all of our body right at once. As we're submerged and our body feels the washing of the water over us and every aspect of us is touched 
and cleaned in that moment. And what I would want for you to recognize when you experience baptism or when you're watching someone else's, all of who you are, all of your false motives, all of your brokenness, all of your deceit, all of your lies, all of your actions, every bit of who you are that makes you require a savior is cleaned in the waters of baptism. The grace of God covers every bit of you. And we are in our body experiencing that. Water washes, it removes the filth. We are asked not just to put our minds in this reality, but our very bodies into it. It is a very bodily experience. The sacraments tell us implicitly, which means not always directly, that what we experience with our bodies is important. God communicates through our bodies. He values our bodies. As we said last week, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in, the, in our body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's powerful for us. And I think it's probably poignant for many of us who have been raised in a tradition that disparages the human body and tries to minimize that to something that's just going to rot one day, when in fact the scriptures say that your very body will be resurrected. Okay, the fourth comment, and we're coming into the home stretch. And is it a little warm in here to anybody else? All right, it's not just me. My body is telling me something that's true. Number four, the sacraments are made to do together. The Holy Spirit draws together the body of Christ where the word is proclaimed and then the sacraments nourish us. Now, it, would, it wouldn't be sinful in our tradition. It's not sinful from our view for you to take communion on, on your own or for those of you who are joining online to receive communion on your own. It wouldn't be a sinful thing. But I believe that when we do it together, we are being drawn into fellowship with Christ as one. At once, all together. And I think this is particularly important for us because of the very individualistic age that we live in, in society. We've talked about this and we'll continue to talk about this. We are very weighted towards individualism and we think that we can experience all of life just on our own and other people are just accessories to that or maybe just a byproduct of us living life on our own, when in fact, we are made to be interdependent with one another. And I think the sacraments are incredibly powerful when we do it together. They refute and dismantle our individualistic notions. Jesus is drawing his body together, his body, us, the body of Christ together. Pastor George Nix um, commented this last week. I, I, we say it regularly because we want you to know all of our pastors who teach here submit a manuscript, and those are reviewed by other pastors and people beyond just our church as well. And so that we are saying something together, not just Isaac's ideas up here. And George's comment was brilliant. He said, the sacraments together. It is an opportunity to look into each other's eyes and remind one another that Christ did this for us, not just me. So that we could be one with him. 
so that we could be one with him. I think that's well said, George, and I appreciate that. That I think an aspect of us refuting the age in which we live in, which is trying to teach us to only interact with the world as individuals all the time, the sacraments join us into community. The sacraments are an important means through which we abide with Christ. But we have to experience them together. This is paramount. Over time and through regularity, these symbols become central to us. They center us. They teach us. And like all symbols do, they create deep and meaningful connections with themes and truths far beyond what can easily be explained, even though over time, as the word explains the sacraments, all of us could explain in general the meaning. But the meaning is becomes deeply held in our very bodies as we participate regularly. The sacraments are a great gift to us. And you could be on a journey with the sacraments like I am. Our, our church heritage is not particularly focused towards the sacraments. And we used to, traditionally, in a four-square church, once a month, take communion. We've always done baptisms fairly regularly, but communion is something different. And, and if you're learning that and trying to figure it out, and why do we serve, and why do we come forward, just invite you, participate and over time, I think God will reveal to you um, the power of the sacraments for this time and this age and where we are going. The sacraments are a great gift to us. Okay, some thoughts for application before just a, a final challenge to you. First of all, if you haven't been baptized, um, our next baptism is October 30th, and we would love to celebrate with you. So sign up or let one of the pastoral staff know today, the week before on October um, 23rd, um, probably right after the service, we'll do a baptism class to make sure that you are all situated and you know. Um, as Reed said, we, uh, children can be baptized. Um, younger children, there's a conversation that Danya will have with the parents to help you discern if it's the right time for your child to be baptized. But we want to affirm their step of faith and affirm that as an opportunity for them. And so um, sign up, and uh, that would be wonderful um, to celebrate with you in baptism. The second encouragement, make our Sunday gathering a priority for your family. The word, the spirit, and the sacraments in community form a powerful formative force that you don't want to miss out on. And I'm going to make some final comments about that in just a moment. And then thirdly, just to encourage you, as you're learning about our church right now, there's much more to learn real time. Learn about what our church is. Sign up for the membership class. You need to sign up by this Wednesday to participate as we're preparing materials and child care especially. We need to be on top of it and know uh, who is coming and hope that as we have focused this one direction for this fall, um, that as many of you would participate as possible. Okay. As I mentioned, a final challenge and appeal to you. I want you to consider what is forming you. So I did just a bit of research this last week. And um, the first is this about screen time among adults. All right. Average adult is on the screen for four hours a day. Non-work. <laughs> Non-work time. That's four hours a day. You do the math with me, that's 1,460 hours in a year that whatever it is that you're consuming through the screen, whether that's you know, games and YouTube videos and um, on and on, social media, et cetera, 
which if you think about all the symbols that are in that, all the things that are forming your attention, etc. Now, this is the world that we live in, and this is not a shaming thing. This is just probably most of us would relate that, yep, that's, that is my world, and that is deeply forming. So the next thing, all right, average church gathering, an hour and a half a week. If you came 52 times, that would be 78 hours. 78 hours that, you know, would um, be about your particular Christian formation and your experience with the Christian community. How many of you attended all 52 weeks last year? Yeah, there's there's a few. I know you are the faithful. There's a few. Yep. I won't won't go down the line, but you know, for many of us, it's a habit that maybe a third, maybe a quarter, maybe half, and you start to do the hours. What's what's half of 78 off the top of your head? 39, right? 39. What's a quarter of 78? You have to do real good math right there. <laughs> 19, yeah. Yeah, 19 hours. Whew. Now, I know that Sunday morning is not the only time that you engage with your own discipleship. And that's really good. And it takes much more than Sunday mornings for this to be something uh, for you to really be discipled in the way of Jesus. But I just want to draw your attention to that. Because we live in a free society in which we are making choices all the time. And so many of those choices are done to us by organizations and media conglomerates that have an agenda of their own as well. It's mostly your pocketbook. And those are shaping you tremendously. And I, I want you to wrestle. I want you to wrestle. I want you to wrestle with the, uh, the opportunities that are afforded to you by the traditions of the church to gather around the word, to gather and to experience the spirit together, to gather around the sacraments. These are primary formative tools. And something about our present day culture um, minimizes that and discards that. And many of us are frustrated about some aspects of our society and the way it's going. And I would say it's on us. It's on us. It's on us to choose to position the gathered church as a primary means of our engagement with the world. And if we don't, we'll get the fruit of it. And we are. I hope that feels invitational to you. <laughs> but if it strikes you a little sideways, I'd like you to just maybe take that to the Lord and say, how do I need to reorient my life? There's lots of things demanding my time and my attention. Am I experiencing regular the gift that God has given me in the embodied community? Now, some of you, let me speak to those of you online. Some of you have very good and real health reasons to remain online. Others of you, this has become a convenient habit. And because I participated with you online during the season of shutdown, 
I know the significant difference between the embodied gathering of God's people and doing it from home. And I'd like to speak honestly to you to invite you to come home, to come be with us, to come experience this together. No shame for those of you who can't. You're shut in. No shame. No shame for those of you who are struggling and in compromised health situations. That's, that's not what I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to you who have made it a habit because it's convenient to do church in your living room. Come and be with us. We need you, and I would suggest you need us.